For as long as I can remember, since childhood even, when I've fallen in love with a book, I've wanted to sit down and talk with the author. Now, I'm doing just that. Welcome to Words with Writers. I'm your host, Jenny L. Weitrip. I'm an award-winning, best-selling author, and I'm talking to authors about the writing craft, the writing life, and the books you love. Thanks for joining us. So, Erin, thank you for joining me today. I am, as I mentioned in our brief chat beforehand, I'm really excited to get to meet you and um, absolutely loved reading all that we carried and um, just am so excited that I had the opportunity to read it uh, before it released. And the funny thing was I was actually beforehand reading uh, The Words Between Us. I had just begun it. I was a couple of chapters into it and uh, went to your website saw that you had a book releasing and asked if we could do this interview, which meant I had to put that book aside (laughs) and I was completely hooked. So (laughs) I'm looking forward to getting back to that, but all that we carried was really just exquisite in in every way. So um, let me introduce you for our listeners, and I'm going to read it because I don't want to leave out any of the good stuff. Erin Bartles is the award-winning author of We Hope for Better Things, a 2020 Michigan notable book and a finalist for the 2019 Christie Award. Her short story, This Elegant Ruin, was a finalist in the Saturday Evening Post Great American Fiction Contest in 2014, and her poetry has been published by The Lyric, a publishing professional for 18 years. She is the director of WFWAs, which is, again, the Women's Fiction Writers Association, which I would love to talk about. Oh, sure. I love um, You're the director of their annual retreat in Albuquerque, New Mexico. She lives in Lansing, Michigan with her husband, Zachary, and their son. And you can find Erin online at um, erinbartles.com. And I will have all of that information in the show notes. And I'll ask you again about that at the end. And and kudos, you uh, pronounced my last name correctly. Well, I have a, yeah, I have a last name that gets slaughtered regularly. Oh, I'm sure. (laughs) And so I I pulled up a couple of interviews to listen to the pronunciation, so I didn't do that to yours. Um, so you have been in the writing world, the publishing world for a long time. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about your journey to fiction and the journey to publication of Absolutely. your first novel. I would love to. Um, I've been, I feel like I've been in the writing world my whole life almost because I've always been a a huge reader, which most writers I think are. I went to school as an English major. Um, and then soon after graduating, I got a job at Baker Publishing Group, which is a Christian book publisher out of Grand Rapids, Michigan. Yeah. And then eventually had my books published by one of their divisions, Ravel. Um, so I've worked for them for, I think in March, it'll be 19 years which seems like a really long time. (laughs) Um, So I guess, you know, this this year I turned 40 and I guess everything's going to seem like a really long time at this point. (laughs) Um, So I've been working with 
authors for a very long time. I've been a copywriter for Baker uh, trade books, meaning I've been writing the catalog copy and back cover copy and ad copy for those books for a very long time. And um, having been an English major and then having worked with a lot of authors of fiction and just having been a big reader, eventually I really wanted to try my hand at writing. And so um, I had a, a stint at grad school that didn't quite work out because it wasn't quite the program I wanted. And I realized what I really wanted to do was write. I don't want to teach this. I want to, I want to make this. And the interesting thing about being an English major is that you learn how to critique and you learn how to read, but you never learn how to create the thing you're critiquing. Wow. Um, so that's something that you really need to be working on yourself if you're not in a creative writing program. Um, like you have to do the work yourself and it can take a lot of trial and error. And it did in my case, you know, I started thinking about writing for publication in 2007. I started writing my, the book that would be my debut in uh, I, researching in 2013, writing in 2014. Um, but I had written a failed novel before that. Um, so I was working on it a long time eventually got an agent who started shopping that around while I was writing another one. And I've just kept the ball rolling continuously writing while you're waiting for something else to happen. Um, and eventually uh, we hope for better things, which was my debut got published at the beginning of 2019. And then the words between us followed quickly thereafter because it was already done um, in 2019 as well. That came out in September. So I ended up having two books released in the first year um, and I've been writing since, so I have two other finished books. One's coming out just a, well, I guess when this releases, it'll be the, the first day it's out. Um, and I'm working on a fifth and, you know, so it just is one of those things where you're continuously working because I didn't ever want to get behind. <laughs> the thing about all that we carry, the book that we're going to talk about today is that it's the first book that I wrote with a deadline. Um, where you only have a year to do it. Whereas the first novel that came out with Ravel, I took, you know, it was seven years practically from idea to shelf. So it's a big difference writing that It way. is a big difference. <laughs> how, did, how did the deadline change writing for you or did um, it? It did significantly. I tend to be somebody, even with We Hope for Better Things, which was a very big story. It had three different timelines. It was kind of complicated um, I still am not a big planner. So I have an outline of some sort where I'm like, eh, I think these are the places I'm going. But then as you go, you end up realizing that's not where you're going anymore. And you kind of reframe things and you move in a different direction. And that takes a lot of time, especially when you're first starting out writing and you're first really learning how to tell a story. Because mm -hmm. as an English major and somebody who loved writing for a very long time, I was always told that I was a very good writer but that doesn't mean you're a good storyteller. It's yes. hard to it's hard to learn how to tell a good story, and especially in a long form like a novel. It's much easier, I think, harder in some ways, but easier in others to do short stories where something's more compact uh, and less sprawling. So that was something that I had to learn, and I did it partially through trial and error, but also partially through joining um, writing groups. So there's a local writing group that I've been a part of for a long time called the Capital City Writers and then the Women's Fiction Writers Association, which is an international organization at this point. Um, and those are ways that helped me learn how to write more effectively and more efficiently. 
And mm-hmm. the story that became All That We Carried is something that I actually started planning during one of these retreats that I now direct. Wow. Um, and I started planning it with a system that was developed by a woman named Jenny Nash. And any writer, I really encourage you to, to look her up. She's got, she's got tutorials. She, she works with groups. She does retreats and conferences. I think she has books. Um, she was fantastic because there was a particular, I think it, I can't remember exactly what it was called, but it was like this inside outside sort of outline um, that helped me figure out what do I actually want to say? And it made it much quicker to work on this book because I knew exactly where I was going, even though I didn't really outline it chapter by chapter. I knew what the end result I really wanted was. Interesting. It's always fascinating to me uh, for someone who is not a plotter to find a system still that works for them. Yeah. And that's great. Yeah. And it had a lot to do with... um, you know, when you're first starting writing and you're writing a story and you don't really know where you're going, you end up writing a lot of things that don't really matter. They don't move the plot ahead. They don't move <laughs> character development ahead. And those are the things that um, sometimes some of your favorite writing is in that part, but it doesn't actually help the story. So you need to right. get rid of it. And a lot of people have trouble letting go. Um, whereas when you're when you're writing with an end game in mind, you can be more intentional along the way about your choices. Does this scene actually move the story forward in the ways that it needs to? Or is it just there to, um, you know, illustrate something that's maybe not important or doesn't need pages to illustrate it? Maybe it needs a sentence. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) That's great. Okay, before we get too far into the writing, because I think you and I could just exclusively dive into that, Tell us a little bit about All That We Carried. It releases January 5th. It's received a Library Journal starred review, which must feel wonderful. Oh, it does, yes. And um, Publishers Weekly says, this subdued tale of learning to forgive is Bartle's best yet. So I I don't know that I would have used the word subdued. Um, yeah, that's maybe, an interesting choice. Yeah, maybe subtle. I don't subtle. know if I meant subtle. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> because actually I was, I was very intrigued by some of the subtleties that you mm-hmm. included in the way that you wove the spiritual theme. And um, so we can talk a little bit more about that. But tell us a little bit about the story, the inspiration behind it, whatever you would like to share. Yeah. So the, there's two main characters. There's Olivia and Melanie, who are sisters. And they have a shared tragedy in their past. They lost their parents in a, in a car accident 10 years before. And since then, they've gone very different ways, both in their personal lives and in their spiritual lives and in, in almost any conceivable way. They're very different people. And um, this is a story of them coming back together uh, at the behest of one sister, the sort of, okay, fine, of the other. And... Um, it's a story of them trying to reconnect with each other, trying to deal with the unresolved issues in the past, deal with unforgiveness, um, but also examining how what they believe about the nature of life and death and how that affects the way they live and how it affects the way they treat other people and, and all of these different things. 
um, that have really long-term consequences, but they're easy to ignore. It's easy to put off those big questions when you don't want to deal with them um, because you're afraid of the conclusion you'll come to, or you're afraid of changing your lifestyle, or you're afraid of what people will say, or, or whatever. So um, the older sister, Olivia, is somebody who doesn't believe that there's anything outside of what you see. Um, what you see is what you get. There's not an afterlife. There's no deeper meaning to any of this. And her younger sister um, sees meaning in everything and wants to try a little bit of everything and has sort of a cafeteria-style spirituality. And um, so those two worldviews make for a lot of arguments. And the fact that they're sisters makes for a lot of arguments. And I grew up with a sister who was very close in age to me. Um, most people who first meet me assume I'm the older sister, but I am not. I am the younger. <laughs> um, so if you met my older sister, she's even more of the older sister. <laughs> and we didn't get along for a very, very long time. And in our 20s, we started thinking... I think a little bit more that we started thinking more similarly, but we realized that we're actually very similar people. And um, we kind of grew up a little bit about the things that we were in conflict about. And we're really, really good friends now, which you could have knocked me over with a feather if you had told me that was going to happen and probably her as well. But I have to stress that the sisters in the story are not us because we're extremely boring because we get along really well. Um, we do go hiking together and my experiences hiking with my sister are certainly uh, what inform a lot of, um, I didn't have to do any research for this book, let's say. I had already lived the research of, of going on different hiking trips and being in the wilderness and not being able to contact anybody if, there's, if something goes wrong. Thankfully, a lot of the things that happen in this book to these uh, sisters have not happened to us, but you always have to prepare for them. Um, and so it's, it's based partially on real life and just the sort of reality of being a sister and the kind of ways that you pick at each other and compete with each other, but also fight for each other and love each other. Uh, so that was really fun to bring into to life. And my own sister has not read the book yet, and she's waiting for her copy to come. And I keep saying, now remember, this is not about you and me. So don't don't see any criticism here. <laughs> it was fun to, uh, as I was doing a little bit of research, I came across the trailer for the book that it's yeah. on YouTube now. It's only been there, it looks like, about a week um, and I don't think I've seen it. <laughs> well, it shows what I loved about it was first of all, it shows a picture of you and your sister, and you're hiking, oh. and beautiful scenery, which you you described so beautifully in the book. But it was it was really fun to to get a visual. Uh, that went with the visual you had created. So I think I do know what you're talking about. I think I made that. <laughs> oh, maybe you did. It. Yeah. I think that so my, I made beautiful. it for my publisher or the bookstore, and they and they put it out. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really great. So. <laughs> so you were talking about cutting parts out. You can cut that part out. <laughs> I, like, oh, I made this. <laughs> That's okay. It's good yeah. for writers to know that they can right. make some of their own publicity materials and things. <laughs> Yeah, so if that's the one I made, those pictures are from my hikes. 
Yeah, it was beautiful. So it was really fun to see that. Um, So how do you do your character development? How do you create these realistic, emotionally layered uh, characters and create that arc? Where does that come from for you? Well, I feel like in the cases of main characters for me, I, I, a lot of people ask, do you base characters off of real people? And I have not based characters off of other people that I know, but their thoughts and their um, emotions and their problems and conundrums and all of their faults come from me in some way. So writing is a way to, to work through what do you think about things? What do you hope for? What are you afraid of? You know, what are all of these things that are roiling around in your mind all the time? Um, for me, writing stories is a way to work through some of that. And so it's like with, with these two sisters, it's not based on two different people. It's all me. So even though they have very differing views about things, that's all things that I've thought. It's all things that I've wondered or, or things that, you know, the things that bother you at night when you're, when you're thinking about big things. Um, what do I think about this? And does that mesh with this? And does this all make sense? And, and also, does it, um, is it something that changes my life? You know, all these different things. So um, in, in some ways, their development is my own development um, as a person. But also there are characters, especially secondary characters, who, who really aren't you as a writer or they're not developed from your sort of inner life. Um, and for them, I, especially antagonistic characters, I really try to put myself in their position and write from a position of empathy mm-hmm. um, rather than judgment mm-hmm. because I feel like um, and this is something that I explore in an, another book that will be coming out in 2022, that antagonists are the protagonists of their own story. So every single person in your book has their own story, their own life. And for them, all of their decisions make sense. All of what they do is for their own self-preservation, maybe. you know. So to, to write somebody who's really not like you uh, in a way that's um, sympathetic, I think, is merely putting yourself in their shoes and saying, in this real situation that I'm creating for this person, what choice do they have? What choices have I given them? What's their background? And how does that inform what they do and what they say? So I think that there's there are a number of characters in my books that I don't think are very likable. But to me, they're they're sympathetic, nonetheless. Because even if they make bad choices, including protagonists, I I definitely have heard some criticisms of them. (laughs) Um, I want them to be real people with real faults, not just, oh, they were misunderstood. No, people make real mistakes in life. I've recently made some really big mistakes in my life. And I want to be able to think that, gosh, you know, there's somewhere to go from here. It's not, you don't have to be defined by that. There's forgiveness, there's grace, there's mercy. And, um, and I think we live in a really unforgiving world where the minute somebody makes a mistake, they're raked over the coals publicly. Um, you know, no jury, no, no trial, (laughs) you're just done. Um, and, and people are like that with characters when they're reading books, they make a split decision. I like this person. I don't like this person. And if you, if you don't like the protagonist at the beginning of the book, I mean, 
give them a little credit. It's a whole book ready to go. I mean, they're probably going to change a little bit along the course of the book. Exactly. Wow. Well, you did a great job in this book of creating two very different characters. I don't have a sister, but it gave me such a strong sense of what that relationship might be like. And I could easily imagine uh, the truth of what you were presenting in their relationship. Um, Why women's fiction Mm. for you? Oh, that's a big question. That's the... What is it? Sixty-four million, sixty-four thousand dollars question. <laughs> you um, may have answered it actually in what you just shared. Well, so the reason that I'm part of an organization for women's fiction is partly because um, I felt like what I was writing, if it had male protagonists or even a male author, perhaps it would just be fiction. It would just be general fiction. It's not a particular genre, even though there's a historical timeline in my first book, it's not historical fiction. It's not romance. It's not historical romance or suspense or romantic suspense or any of those par- very particular genres. It's just a general fiction. Um, and I had kind of started thinking of it as a little bit of an upmarket because it's not really commercial fiction. It's not really literary fiction. It's kind of in the middle. It's in like book club fiction zone. But I joined this organization because I wanted to be part of a, um, a writing group that was focused on a certain type of writing. So my group here in Lansing, um, the Capital City Writers, is for anybody, you know, fiction, nonfiction, any genre, whatever. And that's great, but you can get a lot of um, really great insight from people who are doing the same thing that you're doing. And so I saw either in like Poets and Writers or Writer's Digest or online somewhere, I saw this information about this group. I joined it and I've been a part of it since I think 2014. Um, And their definition of women's fiction is a book where the focus is on the emotional journey of the protagonist, whether the protagonist is male or female. Um, And to me, that's kind of what I was writing. I was writing something that was focused not on a romantic relationship that somebody was developing or or anything like that, but it was on this emotional journey, this this growth of this character. And um, I think that that works. But a lot of people have problems with the phrase women's fiction because they think it unnecessarily limits their scope or their readership, rather, to women. Now, certainly women are most of my readers, but they're not the only readers. And I think that more and more men are realizing that you can read a story with a female protagonist and you can relate to it just as women have been doing this for generations. You (laughs) know, I mean, (laughs) we're reading all sorts of stuff with male protagonists and even, you know, as a mother of a son, you know, when I, when I read stories to my son when he was younger uh, and we got to the point where we were reading longer books, I wanted him to love the books that I loved as a kid. And a lot of them had female protagonists and he took a little convincing, and I, but I, I was very careful about my choices. And I said, you're going to like this. You're going to like her. Trust me. And, and I was always right. <laughs> and he always liked them. Harriet the Spy, Anne of Green Gables, uh, Island of the Blue Dolphins, Wrinkle in Time. I'm like, you're going to like these girls. <laughs> That's great. I love that. I loved Harriet the Spy. <laughs> oh, yeah. She's great. So you're... Um... I call it an abbreviated hook 
for this book is the most treacherous terrain is found within. Mm. And when I read that, that's in the Amazon description. When I read that, I thought that shouts women's fiction to me. (laughs) It is that sort of, oftentimes it's that internal journey and that becomes the character arc is that internal growth of the character. And one of the reasons I love Um, both writing women's fiction, but also talking to authors of women's fiction is it seems oftentimes there is a a real um, emotional and relational literacy almost Mm. Mm. (laughs) in that oftentimes your women's fiction's authors are fairly self-aware. And as you talked about, in many ways, we're working out our own um, our own issues, our own growth, our own emotional health through those characters. Those characters become a vehicle for our own processing, mm-hmm. and I just find that fascinating. So it's very um, it's always interesting to me to get to connect with another women's fiction author because I we hear some of those same things from one another. And that's really fun to feel like, okay, I'm not alone in what I'm doing because sometimes it can feel a little crazy making. (laughs) Yeah. Well, honestly, I mean, that's what I I feel like really good fiction is always saying that to you as a reader, that whatever secret thoughts you have had, neuroses you have, whatever um, ways that you think about yourself in negative ways um, everybody else is doing that too. <laughs> You're not alone. Um, yeah. I remember as a child, the day I realized that other people had their own thoughts in their heads, <laughs> that it wasn't just me. And I was just like, oh my word, what are they all thinking? You know, and it turns out we're all pretty much thinking the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's great. <laughs> that is very true. Oh. Okay, so another question. Did you intentionally choose Christian fiction over general market fiction? Uh, you've been in the publishing world. You are an excellent writer. Okay. Uh, you're involved outside the Christian circle in terms of your writers' groups and, and things. So why Christian fiction? That's a wonderful question. Um, I did not purposefully seek out a Christian publisher for this book. The first publishers, or for for any of my, well, for this book I did, but uh, for my first couple, uh, the first book was shopped around to a lot of different places. It got, you know, a little ways through the editorial process uh, in a couple different houses, um, but ultimately wasn't picked up. But in the meantime, I had given the manuscript for it to my then boss, um, who was the vice president of sales for Baker Publishing Group, Mm -hmm. um, and he read it in a couple days which I thought was extraordinary because it was very long. And um, he had really good things to say about it. And he's one of those people who doesn't say nice things unless he means it, (laughs) which is why we worked so well together. We were actually really similar. Um, And so he, he really wanted to publish it. And I said, well, you know, there's, I have some reservations about publishing with the people I work with. Um, And he's like, well, well, what? And I said, well, one of the things is if it doesn't work, if it doesn't succeed, I don't want to pass people in the halls and have them give me that sort of like, oh, I really liked it, sort of pity look, you know? (laughs) 
um, which people feel the need to talk about things all the time when they could just not say anything, you know, there's no reason you have to say something all the time. And um, he was like, oh, that's dumb. You know, 70% of books don't earn out their advance. You know, most books don't succeed by, you know, that standard. And I said, well, there's a few other things. I'm just not sure because I didn't feel like what I was writing was Christian fiction. I felt like it was general fiction. And there are some readers who also think that because they're like, I don't understand why this is labeled Christian fiction. Whether they are a non-Christian who's like, well, this wasn't so bad. There wasn't too much God. Or a Christian who's like, well, I've, I feel like there ought to have been a lot more God in that. <laughs> and why didn't she do this? Um, so it's, I live in this no man's land in between where I, I'm very comfortable with both groups, whether it's Christian writers or non-Christians. Um, I'm very comfortable writing in the space that I'm in, but it's harder to categorize. And so eventually my boss said, will you think of us as a backup plan? And I said, okay. Wow. <laughs> and when some other things didn't work out, I'm like, okay, well, let's just see how this works. And it's worked really, really well. And there's some really great benefits of publishing with the person you work with, mainly because you know what's going on. A lot of wow. people I know, um, especially other debut authors, I was in a debut author group on Facebook, and they were just so anxious all the time because they never knew what was going on with yeah. their book. And I'm like, I can check databases, I can email people, and I can see them in the hall and be like, hey, author hat, can we talk about this? Um, so it's been really, really great. I've had a really great experience. Um, and, you know, we're doing a couple more books together, and we'll see what the future holds. But it's definitely an odd space to be in, because you really, you don't please everyone, and you can't. Um, right. But people have certain expectations, good or bad, of what Christian fiction is. Yeah. And what I like is having people with certain expectations read my work and then having them say, oh, that was unexpected. And having them say, that's not what I thought it was going to be, but I liked it anyway. <laughs> that's neat. Well, it's neat because you can attract a wide audience. Mm. And, um, and that's not what we are always taught to do. Sure. But um, even with all that we carried, there was a definite spiritual message or theme to it. But as I mentioned, it was very subtle in the way that you did it. And by that, I mean, it was all show and no tell. Mm. In other mm -hmm. words, you yeah, really, I appreciate you yeah, that which out. is so important. And because we are talking uh, to writers hopefully the audience listening is, is mostly writers. Uh, you just, you nailed it. You nailed the showing versus telling that deep POV, um, which I call sort of showing on steroids. I mean, it just, there was no author intrusion. There was no preaching. There were, well, I it really just appreciate was that. really well done. I, I really appreciate those words because I think that's the difficulty when you're talking about, um, especially when you're talking about spiritual beliefs or anything that you believe strongly in, because it doesn't mm -hmm. matter what the book's about. You can feel the author intrude sometimes. Mm -hmm. And my aim was to write a story about people dealing with things, not to write an apologetic. And so if at the end people are upset by the fact that, and I'm not going to give anything away, I don't think, um, that a character doesn't grow in the way they want them to, all the way that they want them to, and it's not made explicit, um, that's intentional because it's not, it's not an apologetic. 
Yeah. It's a story. Yeah. And for those Christians who um, are acquainted with theology, you tackled some deep theological questions. I don't know that any of them are solved, but they're definitely talked about. (laughs) I I don't know that they're meant to be solved, solved this side of, of heaven, but, um, but you, you were brave. I felt in going in and tackling some of the questions that keep people from God Mm -hmm. and uh, that, you know, we allow to be barriers in our relationship with, with God. So, um, but this could easily also appeal to a general market audience. So anyway, I was just fascinated by um, your ability to serve both readers, uh, at least in this book. So, well, and I think that a, a large part of being able to show and not tell, it just has to do with, for me at least, it has to do with revision. Because there's a lot of telling in a first draft. And I think that some people want to stick right there with their first draft. They feel this is, you know, this is as good as I can do, or this is really what I wanted to say. Um, but for me, it's always in deletion that I find good writing. It's removing things. Um, And I don't know if that's because I'm a copywriter by trade and I have to remove a lot of things. Things have to be tight. They have to be short. They have to be to the point. Um, I am, I just love deleting things. (laughs) When I, when I edit other people's work, I'm like, do you really need this? Do you really need this? Do you need this here? You know, (laughs) like you can probably get rid of all this. Um, This was for you as the writer when you first wrote it. And now you have to trust a reader to get it without you telling them straight out what they're supposed to get. Absolutely. Good words. (laughs) Okay. So one question to close on, we are still in 2020 and it has been a year of untold challenge for so many people. What is your takeaway as a writer and for writers from what we have experienced this year? Or do you have one? Um, Yeah, I saw this as one of your questions that you said you were going to ask me. And I'm like, I should really think about this before (laughs) because it's a tough question. I I know so many writers who found it extremely difficult to write this year. I had big plans for this year when I think we all did. Um, You know, I turned 40 on January 2nd, 2020. And I thought I'm going to live a very intentional year. I had all these plans. I had two manuscripts that I had planned on drafting. I am halfway through one. Uh, It's been a hard year to write, not only because your mind is so full of things, um, all the stuff that's going on, and you are spending a lot more time with your family, perhaps, because you're home or they're home. I praise God that my son is in in in-person school this year. I have been so thankful for that. Um, He goes to a very small private school and they were able to make it work. (laughs) And I was ready for the like two weeks in for them to be like, oh, sorry, we made a mistake, but he's still there. (laughs) So um, I have been so grateful for that. I've worked from home for more than 15 years. So I was very used to working from home, but I don't like having a coworker (laughs) (laughs) in the next room listening to music that I can't stand. So, um, you know, summer, well, spring and summer were hard and I just didn't get a lot of writing done. And, um, I tend to be somebody who doesn't have a great routine. I don't get up at 5am to write every morning, even though I wish I did. Um, I just, I fit it in 
where it fits. And in a year like this, sometimes it doesn't fit. But I think people have to give themselves a little grace um, and allow allow themselves to go through something. Um, it takes a while to process the kind of stress that I think people have been under in so many ways this year. And it might be, you know, halfway into next year before you feel like you can really get over it and start getting your life back on track. And when it comes to writing, when you're stressed out and you're just full of angst, it can be really difficult to write. For some people, that's when they need to write. But for other people, it's hard to be creative when you are so stressed out. So I think that giving yourself a little bit of leeway and not holding yourself to impossible standards during an impossible year exactly. is probably not too bad of advice. <laughs> yeah, it's actually very good advice. Very good advice. Well, thank you. So tell us what is, um, what does, what do you think 2021 looks like for you? Well, the book releases on January 5th and then you have another one. The next In January. The yeah. Okay. And Great. Yeah. So, so my, my year is actually starting to, to fill up with virtual events. You know, when we had to cancel all sorts of things this year, yeah. people weren't quite fi- ready to figure out or they didn't know when they could do it again. So this coming year, I feel like people have a pretty good handle on it. I'm doing library events. I'm doing book clubs. I'm doing store events all online for the first few months. And my first in-person <laughs> Um, event is scheduled for mid-April, and I contacted the organizer of that conference. It's a writer's conference here in Lansing, and I'm like, are you sure? And he's like, we're hoping. So (laughs) I've got it on my calendar, and we are rescheduling things that we were supposed to do last year, and I, I fully believe and hope and anticipate being in person for things by the summer, uh, and certainly by the fall. I'm planning my next retreat in Albuquerque as if it's going to happen. <laughs> and I'm, and I'm, I'm hoping that it will. And I think that by this time next year, we'll all be doing a lot better. <laughs> well, we will look forward to seeing you in the virtual events that at least the beauty of that is you reach a wider audience. So yes. that's yeah. good. So people can find those um, on my website if they, if they want okay. to, it's just aaronbartles.com slash events. Thank you for listening writers. For show notes, links, and resources for writers, go to wordsforwriters.net.